Are they ten-minute episodes? Yeah, Adventure Time's a ten-minute episode. Why the fuck are there episodes an hour and a half? Some of them. The lore of Adventure Time does get pretty involved. I don't, and they're also doing four minutes. Yeah, it really does. For fuck's sake, what are we doing? Secret agent man. Welcome back to EnterTheRealWorld.com. This is Secret Agent Men, a podcast looking at Mission Impossible, Born and Bond. This is episode 12, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. My name is Matt Waters. I'm joined, as always, for this endeavour, the man with the spreadsheets, Ben Phillips. Ben, how are you? We're both on a day off and we're choosing to do our, like, non-paid job in that day off. We are. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I've watched, like, eight movies in between watching the movie we're discussing today. I haven't. (laughs) But, you know, we're all doing stuff. Speaking of doing stuff and this podcast, obviously everyone else will have already known this before we're saying it, but No Time to Die has been delayed because of the coronavirus. This podcast was timed to release in time for us to see No Time to Die and then have that be our final episode. That's obviously no longer going to be possible. It's coming out in November, and Ben and I will decide when we do that episode. But, yes, that now means this podcast, for now, will finish with Fallout. That Yes! Yeah, well, if it's we anything end- like Rogue Nation, I'm sad about that. Well, you are <laughs> a, a wrong-headed man. <laughs> it feels like all we've done is fight about things this week. All we've done is fight about Mission Impossible, our entire show. And and Jojo Rabbit, we fought about this week, and we fought about the newsroom. Jojo Rabbit's great. I'm not saying it's the best film of the year, but like you're a monster if you don't think it's at least really good. Uh, Speaking just... of things that aren't really good, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> I just think it's incredibly unoriginal, and it's just biting everything else, and it's kind of a pointless film. I think everything it does, it kind of achieves very well. And no, I will agree, it's not like the most original movie in the world. It definitely is pulling an awful lot from like other versions of this. I just think it's super well accomplished, and just kind of a lot of fun, and it's kind of the first movie that feels like all the elements are kind of working in conjunction with each other to lead to the end. And Because, like, even even in the movies like where I think Christ Protocol's great, and I think Mission Impossible 3 is great, but they all have elements in them that kind of, like, are letting the side down, whereas this movie, I'm like, no, there's nothing in this movie apart from a moment where, like, they rely too much on CG rather than in-camera stunt work, which is what Mission Impossible's so well-known for, where I'm like... I, I changed that, the conceit of that, to fix it. It's consistent, and it's a well-done photocopy. But, yeah, I kind of feel this and uh, Quantum of Solace are two incomplete movies that, if they merged, would work. Because Quantum of Solace, everything other than the big stunt work is actually pretty decent, and then the stunts are somehow really boring, despite if you describe them out loud, they sound like they should be exciting. And I think the stunts here are really exciting, and the stuff happening in between them is pretty boring. And if I could merge those two movies, it would be good. But as is, I think this is just a bit of a shallow, hollow shell of a movie. But God, you're going to be so excited when I tell you that Fallout is a direct sequel to this as well. I know it is, and I wish I didn't Google one of the actors' filmographies to learn that they'll be back in Fallout, <laughs> Oh, but he's got a great beard. <laughs> okay, good. He's got a great beard. Good. Fallout better be a lot better than this, is all I'm going to say. Given I mean, the I, amount I, of I, hype you, Mike, and however many other people have given Fallout, if this is your god, uh, if this your king, as it were... I mean, I mean, I mean, Gerald is there to help, so... <laughs> Good old Gerald. So, released July 2015, so four years since Ghost Protocol. A surprisingly long gap between all of the Mission Impossible films. They, they start to contract now that Chris McQuarrie's, like, the lead person on them. And, obviously, like, Chris McQuarrie's now, like, the go-to guy for Tom Cruise. Because in between Ghost Protocol and this, they've done Jack Reacher, Edge of Tomorrow together. Yes, just to both, take both from my really notes. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, Jack Reacher Never Go Back isn't great, but Jack Reacher won. Yeah, I like Good Jack solid Reacher. Work. I, I feel almost embarrassed to volunteer that information unless someone else says it first. But I think it's, it's a movie. Good. It's a movie in which Werner Herzog plays the lead villain. What's not to love? And he bit his fingers off. Let's go watch Jack Reacher. It was actually going to release later in the year, but they brought it forward to avoid Spectre and Star Wars cowards. Probably, smart. probably smart. Smart. Yeah. smart. <laughs> yeah. And it restores Mission Impossible to its summer movie status after a brief uh, foray into the winter time. But yeah, as you said, written and directed by Christopher McQuarrie, who wrote The Usual Suspects and Valkyrie, which, as you said, is how he met Tom Cruise. They'd done Edge of Tomorrow by now as well. Uh, he would go on to do The Mummy <laughs> and Top Gun Maverick. So I am not entirely convinced this dude is a really good writer, but we'll see. I think what happens is, is the movies where like he isn't the only screenwriter mm. kind of lose that he knows how to write for Tom Cruise really well. Are you where, saying like, Tom Cruise is good in The Mummy and the rest of the movie's bad? I haven't seen it, you can tell no, me. No, 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 I'm, yeah. I'm saying that like The Mummy, the, the, the list of screenwriters in The Mummy is in... Like, oh, okay. so it's story by John Spates, who did Prometheus. Okay. Alex Kurtzman, Jenny Lumet, <laughs> the daughter of the daughter of Sidney Lumet, who wrote Rachel Getting Married, which is a fantastic movie. David Cope did the screenplay, who we who has the name has come up. Chris McQuarrie, and then Dylan Kurtzman. So there's six credited screenwriters in that movie. None of whom are ants. Yeah. But compared to like McQuarrie writing, he is co-screenwriter on this movie with Drew, Drew Pierce, or Drew Pierce did the story. Mm-hmm. But like then Mission Impossible Fallout, like, he's the solo screenwriter. I think it's the same for Seven and Eight. I think Maverick, he's one of like a couple of screenwriters so we'll see how that one works there's out there's no way Top Gun Maverick is going to be good right there's no I mean, way <laughs> it's got one of your boys in it which one Miles Teller ah of course I'll follow you anywhere Miles even to bad bad places this movie is 2 hours and 11 minutes long so 2 minutes shorter than the far too long ghost protocol Budget, $150 million, so only a tiny bump of $5 million over Ghost Protocol. And it grossed $683 million, so $12 million less. Apparently Christmas is a bigger market than summer. They tell me that, that summer movies don't make money, but I find that ridiculous, personally. Um, uh, it's because there's so many movies in that time frame that like you start to get a little bit of fatigue especially when you're releasing at the tail end of the period or there's something coming out in two weeks that people are more excited for and you're splitting your interest and stuff yeah Yeah, exactly exactly. okay so brad bird was asked to come back but declined to go make tomorrowland delightfully solid movie that is also his worst movie Uh uh-huh and lindelof's best lindelof's best (laughs) <laughs> Although I might be seeing The Hunt tonight, so who knows? Who knows? A movie they cancelled the release of, which is always a good sign. <laughs> Cruz asked for Macquarie after working with him on Valkyrie and Jet Reacher and whatnot. Drew Pierce signed on to write the script. He keeps a story credit, but he was replaced by Will Staples after like six months or a year or something. And then Macquarie ended up just writing the whole thing himself, but Drew Pierce maintains a credit. And once again, they had no script when they started filming and it was just stunts. They really need to stop doing this. I mean, I guess it's paying off for them, but, like, this is a stressful way to make movies. I think the most intriguing thing about that is the way this movie is structured, the biggest stunt, the one that they're basing the entire trailer around, is in the first five minutes of the movie. Yeah. And the water one, when they filmed it, they didn't know what he was stealing. They were like, ah, we'll figure that out later. And it's like, you can kind of tell. (laughs) That's my least favourite section of the movie, is, is the underwater stretch. The bit where they lie. The stuntman said Tom Cruise held his breath for six minutes. I call fucking bullshit. Paula Patton and Maggie Q were both asked to come back, but they couldn't because of scheduling conflicts. That would have been cool. Jessica Chastain turned down her second Tom Cruise movie after Oblivion due to the time required to make it, or she's just ducking Tom Cruise. Benedict Cumberbatch was looked at for the villain, but they kept all of the Sherlock ripoffs. Filming was paused to allow them to redo the ending. Again, I think you can kind of tell. Disney allegedly agreed not to promote Rogue One until after Rogue Nation released, which... Why? (laughs) How stupid do movie execs think people are? Incredibly. It's absolutely bizarre. Alright, our agent is Ethan Hunt. Tom Cruise is back. It's more of the same. He's acquired more superhuman abilities. He is still completely insane. I mean, this has got my my favourite reveal of, like, a super 
superhuman ability yeah. in the entire franchise. It's when he goes like, "I remembered all the codes. Uh-huh. I am I am now just I now have photographic memory. I have two billion dollars at my not fingertips, but yeah, in my brain. In my brain, more of the doubts are creeping in about some of the crazy things he does, which I still appreciate. He's become almost mythic in that people monologue about him while he's in the room. And it's a bit weird. <laughs> he's also being... Would you say this is the most he's been criticised to his face by his friends? Yes. I think I think that's the thing. Is like This is the movie that starts to kind of reckon with the legacy of the franchise, which is another thing that I appreciate Chris McQuarrie's doing in that, like, the, the subplot of this movie is going, like, the IMF are kind of dumb. Mm-hmm. Like, stop the IMF, please. Even if, obviously, the movie has to be on the side of the IMF and say, so, like, they do a good job at what they do. Well, yes, that is literally the plot. Following Ghost Protocol, the IMF is disbanded uh, on orders of some shadowy committee. And uh, Ethan spends 18 months trying to prove the existence of the Syndicate and finds himself targeted by the CIA and, spoilers, the Syndicate do exist. And he's on the run from everyone. So, yeah. Let's do it, then, I guess. In Minsk, Ethan boards a plane while it's taking off to prevent something that is at this moment unclear, but they will tell you in a minute, is, uh, you know, trying to transport nerve gas to somewhere in the Middle East. But they're just like, yeah, here's a plane, he's going to fucking climb on it (laughs) while it's getting off the ground, which is banana sandwiches. Brandt is now a quarterback, basically. Like He's like the man in the chair directing them all. I guess that's a decent use for him, although they very clearly set him up as the second field agent in the (laughs) Quiz Protocol. um, And and it's why you don't really miss him in Fallout as well. Well, is there an explanation of where he is? or is No, there... not, I don't think he's even mentioned. <laughs> Brilliant. That's how I like my Jeremy Renner removals to happen. <laughs> Jason Bourne, I assume, is not going to mention Aaron Cross. Fallout is not going to mention Brent. Luther and Benji are providing tech support now. That's nice. Sort Although of... Luther is half a world away. Yeah, Luther is like remote tech support and Benji is in the field doing gadget shit. Um, wearing a ghillie suit here and just watching the plane as they all freak out. And then Ethan just emerges from seemingly nowhere to do an I, insane I, I thing. Love, I love the entire setup of this, which is that they're all talking to each other, trying to figure out what they're doing. Brandt yeah. is just being bemused by everything. No one knows where Ethan is. Benji's hacking into the plane but can't because it's... It's an unhackable plane. <laughs> it's an unhackable plane. And then Ethan... And just emerges and jumps onto the plane. It's it's just fun. It's a it's a fun stunt. Like opening the wrong door, and then he goes in the right door, but the wrong door is still open, so he almost just bounces straight out the back again. That's pretty fun. Oh, it's so good. And then that guard just showing up, and he's like, "Hello," <laughs> just flies out the back with the parachute. And then the opening credits start, and you get the theme song, and yeah, it's more of the straight up using the footage approach from MI One rather than. It was, like, quite stylized in Ghost Protocol, where it was like, this is the footage, but we've, like, vignetted it in some way where you can't quite tell what's going on. Whereas this is like, here's just some straight-up clips, but we've hopefully edited them together fast enough where you can't see the twists coming. Or the reveals, sorry. Nothing is a twist. So in London... Ethan's briefing, uh, you know, his standard every movie, here's how you get your mission, uh, is hijacked by the syndicate, which is pretty cool. And he is taken prisoner, but he escapes with the help of a lady who will reveal herself later. He calls in requesting aid, but Brandt tells him the IMF has been disbanded. All operations handed over to the CIA, who want to capture him. This wanky music conversation <laughs> he has... I mean, it's, it's all code. From Tom Cruise? Yes, but they chose the words they chose. <laughs> yes, but it's all it's all it's all code. Yes. And like it's why it's got this kind of like weird clip sense where like nothing they're saying makes sense to each other. Yes. It's just they're <laughs> saying they're saying a phrase and then they're responding to a phrase. I just want to point out that the Wikipedia article for Mosh Impossible Grog Nation has a hyperlinked definition of what a record shop is. <laughs> Oh, forget how stupid movie execs think people are. How stupid does Wikipedia think people are? Um, I guess it's literally a resource for what is everything. But if you're yeah, going to do like, that, why not hyperlink every word in the goddamn article? <laughs> I'm also like, it's one of those things where like, there's more egregious ones in Fallout, but like going into a location that I'm pretty sure isn't the same location that it is in London. <laughs> we will talk a lot about that in Fallout. Where. <laughs> I like that Solomon is just sitting in the background in this scene, if you look for him. That's quite fun. And this agent is all, it's really you? You can't have done all the things they said. <laughs> Which is kind of fun. And I do like the the vinyl player. Or it's it's one of these old-fashioned listening booths that I have not seen in a fucking anywhere in a well, long yeah, time. Well, yeah, when we worked in our retail establishment, they realised these kind of things are stupid because yeah. people are bad and will break them on yeah. for fun. 
Yeah, they had listening posts when I started, but those went away, like, immediately. But the whole, like, booth thing is, is real dumb. That's just wasting space. Yeah, that's all good. One of three women in the movie, this agent. That's kind of cool. Yeah, so they confirmed that they were extracting terrorist weapons that were en route to Damascus. And I, I do think that, like, in the middle of the briefing, it being revealed that it's the syndicate talking to him, that's pretty fun. And I kind of wish it... there was more of this. Like, it's a fun little... Like, he it, starts it, it, to it... catch on, like, a sentence before they say anything. He's yeah, very it's... like, huh? And then it's like, you should leave us alone, Miss... I can't even remember how it's phrased, but... If yeah. you come after us, you will die. Yes, kind of. yes. And then they gas him, and ostensibly having Ethan die while Macquarie's director card is on the screen is a pretty fucking <laughs> bold move. But instead they torture him. Lot of, of Ethan fighting big European beefcakes in this movie. We have the Bone Doctor, who is a person, allegedly, and shirtless Tom Cruise persists for unknown reasons. Like, the older he gets, the more he wants to be topless for some reason. To be fair, his body is less weirdly shaped <laughs> than it was in Ghost Protocol. I guess. He doesn't look like he starved himself for True. For he several... just got out of prison in the movie. I know! Maybe he's committing bad. to the role. He I looked really bad. Ilsa helps him escape in front of everyone, but then later has to pretend that he did it himself. No, so the, she she knocks out the Bone Doctor. Uh-huh. And who's she well, going to no, no, say so did Ethan, that? Ethan knocks out the Bone Doctor because he yeah, kicks yeah. him across the room and he hits his head. Then yeah. they both kill every other agent uh, okay. in the room. Okay. So the only one who was right. alive still is the Bone Doctor, but the Bone Doctor just thinks that Ethan knocked him out. I do like that Ilsa has a higher body count than him in this movie. That's kind of fun. Yeah, he does this weird little... Just that many people. Oh, dear. His weird little... Um... Gymnastic escape over the top of that pole is is kind of fun. And off he goes, and it's all a little bit confusing until you find out who Ilsa actually is. And we also... I think, I mean, maybe, maybe that's my issue, is that I go into this knowing yeah. who Ilsa is. Whereas this, I had hazy memories of 3 and Ghost Protocol. I had not seen any of this. So I spent the first hour being like, there's like three or four different sides here, and I don't know why anyone is doing anything. And they do ultimately explain it all but i was kind of in the dark for a long time and i know a lot of movies want you to be in the dark but there are levels of in the dark that i think are wise to be for an audience and i mean and that's the thing is i think from this point they then go into the most involved kind of the most involved in constructed action sequence in the movie mm. where you literally only know who two of the people are yeah. Really, and what they're doing, what their intent is doing in the scene. Yes. But first, Alec Baldwin is testifying against Jeremy Renner in a, in a little courtroom, and yeah, leaning heavily into the previous films with Brandt pointing out the sort of like net positives they've had despite all the damage they've caused and things they've done that are not quite right. I just, I just adore that Brandt's default is like, well, since Tom Wilkinson got shot last movie, yeah. I can't tell you anything. Because I can't say anything without the senator here, so... Um, no, no without, without the IMF secretary. The secretary, yeah. I can't say anything without the secretary, that was it. It's, it's, it's just a little fun thing where it's just like, until you give me a new boss, I can't tell you anything that goes on. <laughs> and Alec Baldwin very much about to lean into that scene in The Departed where he uh, gets very frustrated with the tech boys. Like, you fucking come here. Alec Baldwin's here. Neither good nor bad, I would say. Kind of just, here's an Alec Baldwin role. I don't think, I he's, think he's trying he's, that he's, hard. he's better utilised in the next movie. Oh, of course he's this, this, this movie is very much like, he is the impediment to the heroes doing what they want to do. In the same way that, like, Lawrence Fishburne has been. And, yep. like, they've done this role before. It's very much a stock trope now for, for Mission Impossible. Where would you rank him in terms of, like, all the, the heads of the IMF that we've seen so far? Well, obviously the tops is Anthony Hopkins uh, <laughs> with his just flagrant sexism. No, he's obviously the bottom. Fishburne was really good. Kittredge was good. Who was it last time? Oh, Wilkinson. Last time, Tom Wilkinson. Uncredited. Yeah, barely remember his... But I guess Fishburne would be top for me. Yeah, I mean, Fishburne And I would say Fishburne was, like, really going for it, and Alec Baldwin is... I don't want to say he's sleepwalking through this, but I don't think he's, like, going full guns blazing. And maybe he will next time if his role is bigger, but I... Pff. I don't know. So he will be the only uh, person to reprise. I guess he's not technically. Well, K Kittridge is coming back, although I don't think Kittridge was well, ever he... officially the head of the IMF. Maybe. 
Anyway, these are semantics for another time. Uh, so six months later, the CIA's search for Ethan continues. Benji is being grilled on a weekly basis, but won't give Ethan up. And the two meet at an opera in Vienna on the trail of the mystery man that murdered that lady in the record store. And they fail to prevent the assassination of an Austrian chancellor. So, yeah. The CIA raid Cuba, but, but Ethan is in Paris. That's fun. Tom Cruise can't grow a good beard, but we knew this already from The Last Samurai. <laughs> Um, uh, he remains committed to his shirtlessness he's constantly working out to show that he's either in prison or on those are the things if you're on the run or you're in prison or you're on sort of self-imposed prison because you can't just be spotted everywhere you just gotta work out constantly I like Brandt's like smirk when they raid the place and he's not there but then there is that wall of like Look, this is everything I've been looking for into for the syndicate. I'm not crazy, I promise, but maybe he is. Benji's shitty little life as a data analyst at the CIA, playing Halo 5, which wasn't even out yet, I don't think, when this was released. I guess they hooked them up with a copy, or it's a demo or something. But yeah, I mean, it's just one of those one of those things. Right? I don't even think it's the final box up for the game, is it? It's just I don't know. Yeah. like a little bit, a little bit of a plug where it's like, oh look, he's playing this, and it feels like Microsoft are the only ones that do that kind of weird product placement where it's just like, look, the characters in the movie are playing the game that you want to play this year. Yeah, true. And uh, Ilsa definitely uses a Surface tablet as well. So product placement, baby. I mean, it's not as bad as like what the interview with Ryan Johnson, where he's like, only heroes are allowed to use iPhones. Or villains yeah. aren't allowed to use iPhones. Brilliant. I like how he's potentially just given away so many. And I guess the solution is nobody should use them. <laughs> or cover up the like Apple logo, I guess. Yeah. We get more of Ethan's perfect drawing skills. <laughs> Can we jump ahead to this bit? So, later on in the movie... Oh yeah, he's drawn two people. And because one people. of them is in slightly better focus, they, they, they are like, oh, he trusts her and he doesn't trust this person. Uh, but then Luther's just like, I can't find this guy based on this drawing. I can find this person based on this drawing because he's drawn her better. He's drawn her slightly better. <laughs> and then they're just like... How is this impossible? Because, like, for most profiles, it is impossible. But not for me, Luther Stickwell. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, two seconds later, he's found out who the person is. And Brandt has lost his photogenic, photographic facial recognition brain in between movies because that was a large crux of the last one, is he could recognise someone based on Ethan's drawing and the CCTV thing wasn't working, so he was having to identify people. And, like, now he just doesn't know who anyone is. Like, fuck off. Um, it's dumb, but also it's fun. Just because, like, when they look away, and it's like it's two seconds he's managed to find this disavowed MI6 agent spoiler. Yeah, yeah. The movies are crossing over everyone. So he he gets Benji to the opera and he's all nice tuxedo and, and stuff and Benji ha what the shit is this magic digital book that he has? It's cool but like he has like a <laughs> physical book yeah. that when he puts a little thing next to it it becomes a digital display and it's like what? Yeah, cool. cool. And it's all in black and white as well because the yeah. paper's black and white. Of course, of course. The future of phones. Well, not really. They've been experimenting with that already, haven't they? No one buys yeah. them. I love this entire sequence. The opera scene. Yeah, I love so it. So you think this is better than the one in Quantum, don't you? Yes, I do. I 100%. 100%. Obviously, the like chase that follows the whole we are everywhere at the opera is not good in Quantum. But I think the whole oh god, everyone in this audience could be in Quantum, I think is a lot cooler than anything that happens here. But Okay, I think I think the plot payoff for Quantum is more interesting. Yes. But I just think the mechanics of everything, like, again, it comes down to, like, the action beats versus the plot beats. And I think everyone chasing each other through the opera, trying to figure out who everyone is. Everyone's a bit confused. No one's sure what's going on. Ethan's chasing down one person, but he also wants to go follow Il Ilsa and... And then, meanwhile, you've got, like, the security guy also prowling the hallways. Yeah. And it's so well orchestrated, and it kind of all comes together in this, like, great head where, like, everyone's pointing guns at the same person. And I compare that to, like, Quantum of Solace when, like, they're running away from the from the opera at the end, and it goes, like, it goes quiet, and the gunshots aren't loud, and he yeah. drops off the roof. And I'm just so less interested in the payoff to that. I think this is a better action scene. I just don't think it's as cool of a scene. But And also, it coming second is always going to not reflect well on it but and also like so the syndicate were in the mission impossible tv show but it was just the mob basically like i think early on they were dealing with international espionage and then they had budget cuts and it was like now the imf are just gonna take down organized crime in america and they called it the syndicate and obviously you're not gonna do that now and they've reimagined them as 
a clandestine agency. But it's like, you've done this immediately after Bond has reactivated Quantum slash Spectre. And it's like, how can you not see that this is going to look like you're aping them? Well, that's the thing is, I think think it is very much like... So Solomon Lane is kind of very similar to Javier Bardem's character in Skyfall, in some ways. Less good. I mean, oh yeah, sure. I mean, Javier Bardem's doing a fucking great performance in that movie. But I think, while Sean Harris isn't as good as Javier Bardem, I do think what the role of the syndicate is more interesting than what I've seen James Bond do with its shadowy organisation that's behind everything. Really? Really? Because I think Solomon is so more ha-ha-ha villain. He has a memorable voice. And I guess he's better than Dominic Green, but other than that, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, no. <laughs> in terms of the ranking of like Mission Impossible villains, I do think like, or if we're ranking all the villains across the series, yeah. like I think the top three are definitely Philip Seymour Hoffman, Javier Bardem, and Mads Mikkelsen. Like, no question, like Sean Harris doesn't crack that golden three. I just think that the way they're using a shadowy organization here, with like, uh, just th- there's the right amount of chaos in this scene where like they're pulling so many different strings, and the fact that like in the end they still manage to killed the the Chancellor of Austria because they do <laughs> uh, like, like so that's the thing is like they have three people in there ostensibly to assassinate this person Ethan manages to, to foil that but then they still have a backup car bomb in the car yeah. make them feel more of a threat than anything that Javier Bardem does in in Skyfall because Skyfall so much more personal whereas this feels more indiscriminate and kind of more focused well, on breaking down the world I think they reveal that Bardem is part of Quantum slash Spectre, but, like, he doesn't feel like he is acting on their behalf. He feels like this is his personal thing. And I would say that Quantum as a general concept are the same as the Syndicate, personally, but... As concept, they are very much so. I just think, like, at this point, we are three movies into Bond, and obviously Spectre's where it all comes to a head in terms of shadow organisations. I just think Mission Impossible Impossible got to it quicker, and from everything I've heard of Spectre, is achieving the kind of general sense of, like, this is an organisation that are doing things better Mm. than Bond, but I've not seen Spectre. I'm so so scared I'm going to turn around and become a huge Spectre fan after (laughs) potentially later today. But as you've said, there's a lot going on here with like so this man is probably trying to kill the chancellor is ilsa trying to kill this man or is he is she also trying to kill the chancellor so, so there's two of them and trying to kill the chancellor yeah no i know what's actually happening i'm saying like oh, okay before you know it's like oh is she trying to kill them are they trying to kill her which one of them is it both trying to kill the chancellor and like ethan doesn't quite know like he's looking at where she's aiming he's looking at where the other dude is aiming there's that third huge dude that he has the big fight with with the scaffolding going the gantry like going up and down that's kind of fun we have a flute gun which is really fucking dope we have the flute gun is so cool we have a baton gun from the security guy (laughs) and then ilsa's also got like a a fun like assembly gun like we got three cool guns going on here that's pretty fun tom cruise fights a big european man somehow no one hears any of it my favorite bit is when he like jumps to to meet him and they're like grappling each other and then he just stands up and he's like so much bigger than he's so much taller than him and that's the thing is i think the movies also that i like tom cruise in are the movies that are able to play with his image and like everyone knows that tom cruise is short tiny and a lot of movies will like shoot the female actresses so they look like they're a similar height yep fragile ego yeah yeah but this is very much playing with that where i mean yes he's not on screen with a woman and i'm sure rebecca ferguson would have to be like crouching off stage if she was like up against him (laughs) in this scene but like actually having like because using his height to make this guy seem so much taller because i'm sure this guy's probably only like six one or something like that like not (laughs) this man could be five foot seven and you would achieve the same effect (laughs) do you know what kind of bothers me about ethan his perfectness i kind of wish he wasn't good at fighting like (laughs) It's that he does all of this, and then he's also like, I could kick anyone's ass. And it's like, you can't literally be the Uberman. To be uh, fair, he does get his ass kicked for most of this fight, and he only really wins by like knocking him off and impaling him on the top of the, the I, set. I know, but it's just it feels like one step too far. It's like you can be good at all this shit, but you can't also be like, there is no one-on-one encounter I could not win. <laughs> so, uh, okay. I, I mean, I, I, because I, I don't think I don't think he does win this encounter. I he's guess very he's, much, I guess he's, he's very not much... like throwing absolute hailmakers or anything, uh, haymakers or anything. But anyway, he he does that, and then he makes his pick about who he's gonna 
all three of them with their sniper rifles out and him looking from one to the other to the other and then Ethan like clips the Chancellor in the shoulder so that he'll be taken away and then it also misses her shot and then Benji gets to the guy in the lighting booth and then Ilsa kills that dude and then Benji dives for cover that's pretty fun and then they have the little escape scene and Ethan is a little bit unsure about abseiling down a building and then when they actually do it the pole falls down just afterwards and she stops him falling to his death which is quite fun just hammering home this idea that Ethan is actually not in control of any situation which I continue to like and then the car bomb happens and then Ilsa like disappears again only for them to reunite with Ilsa not long after and it it felt a little bit inelegant to me like I feel they should have remained together in some ways if they're just gonna reunite in like less than five minutes but yeah Ethan tells Benji about the syndicate and how they've been operating across the globe and they've been committing all these subtle acts of terrorism as an anti-IMF they go find Ilsa again and you know I said how when they wrote this scene they didn't know what Ethan was stealing and I've seen it and I know what he stole but even when I was watching it I was like why are they here like they're at some facility in Morocco that they think contains syndicate data and it kind of does but it kind of doesn't I mean yeah so, so it, it contains the red box which is yeah. where all the funds for the syndicate have been gone yes. but the funds for the syndicate are blocked by requiring the prime minister's biometrics to unlock it uh-huh. so the syndicate has set Ethan and Ilsa up to steal it for them so that Ethan can then go to the Prime Minister, unlock it, and then give it to the yes. Syndicate. Yes. Incredibly convoluted. I think it just about hangs together. Yeah. I would say if you like this, you like Metal Gear more than you know you do. <laughs> I've never played Metal Gear games. I know, that's from, why I'm saying. <laughs> apart from, like, the first 20 minutes of Metal Gear 4 before my, my girlfriend at the time took the controller off me because I was playing it wrong. In 20 minutes, you wouldn't have touched the controller. It's all cutscenes, but... <laughs> I, can't even remember, I can't even remember where I got up between the game. She just got annoyed at me and took the controller from me. War never changes. I was a bit daydreamy during this whole sequence because I was just like, I'm not entirely sure what's going on yet, but I know they're doing stunt shit. But Ethan gives Benji the opportunity to get out and he angrily is like, no, I'm a fucking field agent. I signed up for this. Let's do it. And I like that. I am your friend. Exactly. Yeah. After he was like, I don't owe him anything. He's like condemned me to this life as a data analyst. It's nice character progression for Benji from guy that sits in the dank basement working on tiny little data stuff to, oh, he's a field agent now, to like, no, 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 I'm a fucking field agent. But he was like, not necessarily great at it. And it was like, he's going to get himself killed to like, okay, now it's serious. I want you to not stay. And he's like, no, 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 I want to stay. This is the most important thing that this movie kind of nails is this is the team movie more than the other ones. And like having a character like Benji there immediately makes it so much more interesting because like, and obviously it's like, it took them ages to figure out who the main team was going to be. And Benji's kind of like the only one who's consistently in the field and Luther kind of makes a big triumphant return in this movie but like yes it's so triumphant stop being so mean him and Bran are just like segregated off over in the corner to keep them busy while they bicker with each other until it's great. I love it until it's time for them to be back in the movie yep I just think like Benji's role here is so much makes the movie it gives the wrinkle that Bond doesn't have and it gives the wrinkle that that Bourne doesn't have in that they're interacting with a character who is other than this kind of like big superhuman thing and isn't the female love interest for the movie and it's why Benji is there in the final set piece as well yes Simon Pegg might be my favourite thing about Mission Impossible. <laughs> I mean, that's completely fair. Like, he's really good in this role. I think I just think he gives energy sometimes when... I'm not saying in this one, but just generally. When things have started to sag a bit, he has been a welcome injection of, of, of energy and enthusiasm. And humour, which actually works in this film that is otherwise... It's tongue-in-cheek serious, but it is sometimes a bit self-serious. Ilsa is kind of a badass to Solomon, where she's like, look, trust me or kill me, and tosses him the gun, and then he potentially shoots her, but then he turned out he shot his other guard person but yeah like the reason they separate is so that you can have this scene happen in between and be like look she's working for the bad guys but obviously she's not because she helped him earlier and and it will ultimately be revealed that she's been tasked with infiltrating the syndicate and she's just trying to help Ethan without it being clear she's helping Ethan so she'll keep betraying him but trying not to kill him. I just think this is a tiny bit sloppy and they should have stayed together personally. You can tell that uh, thinking on it you can tell the movie 
movie's kind of not sure how long to keep them together, but the only reason it separates them is to so that she can do machinations off screen without us knowing what they are. Really. Yeah, it's really fun when they run through all the different hypotheticals of how they're going to pull off the heist because the heists are such a like you have to have one in every Mission Impossible, one big one, and they're going to plot it out ahead of time. And I like that in this one. Did they do this with Ambrose in Mission Impossible 2, where he was like, this is what will happen, and you're, like, seeing it happen as it happens or whatever, but, like... This, this is, is what will... But this is... That was very much like, this is what will happen, but they're not doing hmm. variations, because this movie is, like, Benji will go in there with the mask, and he wears the mask, and then he gets found yeah. out because he doesn't walk properly. Like, they, they Finally show... Finally gets his mask, but it's not real. <laughs> yeah, it's there's, like, special cameras that can, like, track the gate of your walk and stuff like that, and, and it's just fun to see, like... Oh, but if we do this, you fail, and like you see Benji getting grabbed and stuff, and I think that's pretty fun. We mentioned Brant and Luther. I like Brant's line about this is the CIA; they're gonna kill him, not just you know capture him or whatever. It's like okay, that's good. That's good stuff. The CIA are big murderer people. Yeah, and then we already talked about that drawing scene, so I don't need to anymore. So they do their big daring infiltration, which nearly goes off without a hitch, but it also betrays them, steals the red box, and then eludes Ethan on a high-speed motorcycle chase across Morocco. Ethan and Ilsa are sort of working in tandem. It is really cool, where they, like, both drop in at the same time, and they're, like, doing the same things with equal capability. Big points for female agency there with Ilsa. Rebecca Ferguson is really good. Spoilers for... Yeah. Spoilers for female agency, but I think she's really good. She is really good. I really like this, like, gaudy oxygen film for a human being <laughs> like it's like an o2 gauge from a video game but for yeah. an actual human and it's like huge on his arm it's quite visually pleasing i don't know i have to i have to imagine like it's it's injected into like a vein or something and it's tracking I have, blood oxygen levels i have no idea it's really cool when he jumps down the giant sort of a giant plug hole. It's not really clear what happened at this facility, to be honest, but he jumps down it. This entire underwater sequence had me daydreaming about the beginning of Metal Gear Solid 2. Sorry. Yeah, maybe, I mean, I mean, maybe Chris sense. McQuarrie should write Mission Impo- uh, the Metal Gear movie. <laughs> Who knows? But but they... he'll, be, he'll be free in like two years' time after he's wrapped on 7 and 8. The guy that made um, Skull Island is allegedly making it, but there will never be a Metal Gear movie. So that's how, would, how would you feel if Tom Cruise played snake awful <laughs> tom cruise could never be snake i'm not saying snake is like some like paragon of of, of a character but like tom cruise could not be more wrong for that <laughs> and yet they will try russell crowe was rumored for it years ago but anyway. years ago we'd have been good for it yeah exactly <laughs> anyway we're not making a metal game movie yeah so like this whole sequence like and like the water's there to cool down this thing because it gets very hot which is why it's underwater yes. and like the the stuff that is done in camera because robert ellswit knows how to shoot movie and mm-hmm. and it's why the the car chase after this looks really good as well like he's, he's just very good at doing what he does but the thing with this is everything in camera looks great and it feels great and it feels like there's a sense of time but then there's these two fucking huge cgi arms things <laughs> arms just swinging around i love that one takes him out a second after he looks nervously at the other one like i think that's a nice bit of physical comedy but it looks so goofy that's right. the thing it's, and it's just like i think it's less interesting because of the reliance on cgi and this mm. is so much not what Mission Impossible does good. Mm. This is allegedly one take, the entire underwater thing, but they broke it up with like, like by cutting away and everything, but allegedly Cruz did this whole thing in a single take. But then there's like massive sections of CGI, so it's like, did you I know? Mean, I mean, we will talk about a thing that is one take that is interrupted by CGI in Fallout, but that one you can actually see the behind-the-scenes shot, and you're like, oh, no, they did do this in one mm. shot. Jesus Christ. I just don't believe he held his breath for six minutes. Most people can barely hold their breath for one, and I, you know, with a bit of training, you can go into the two, three, four territory, but six is getting into, like, professional diver levels, surely. Yeah, but the thing is, do you not think that Tom Cruise is insane enough to, like, spend a year just practicing on how to do it? He said he did, like, a load of breathing exercises to learn to do this, and, like, he would forget to breathe while talking because of them, and it's like, okay, but I still don't believe you held your breath for six minutes while swimming around and stuff like it's one thing to just sit there with your breath held but like they make this big point of it of like as he swims he will have less oxygen and stuff so i mean the, the world record is 22 minutes and 22 seconds Okay, never mind. But that's still a long fucking time, six minutes. It is It person. is a long time. I, I know that, like, at the peak of when I was doing kind of, like, freediving and stuff like that, I could get to about three minutes, maybe. You were maybe. doing freediving? Yeah. When was this? 
like I was I was very young. It was when like we used to holiday in like certain places, but I would do things like that. Yes, about three minutes is, was where's what the, I would. Where's the portion of the podcast where it turns out we are the secret agent man? <laughs> I can't do anything. Just by the way, I mean, I mean, I'm I'm grossly out of shape now, and I definitely can't do it for that long. But I always try if I go, like, go swimming, I try and see how long I can hold my breath for, and I can I can still about do like three or four lengths of a pool okay. um, underwater. Wow. So I'm not <laughs> check you out. Okay, coming soon to the real world Patreon. Ben and Matt will refilm this underwater scene. I'll rescue you in my underwear. So, (laughs) (laughs) Ilsa rescues him and then is mostly naked for exec reasons that didn't need to be here as she stands there in just her underwear and not even a top because Benji's given her something to change into and it's like did we need to see this I mean that's because it's it's, it's like one shot and it's like it's really gratuitous I don't think it breaks the flow of the movie but it's just the way the camera very lovingly frames her side boob as she gets changed into this whilst the actual plot of the movie is like the only thing is that it's like does she look over her shoulder is that why the shot is there because she's paying attention to like she does yes but yeah. it's still fucking unnecessary like it, it is unnecessary i don't th- i don't think it like he could have given her something to put over the top of her wet clothes or something or she yes. could have like i don't know walked around a corner or something briefly like you can achieve all of this in the same way like it just that you can't resist going to this well that they keep going to is disappointing it, it is when disappointing. this is otherwise the best female character that this franchise has delivered to date but yeah. also Rebecca Ferguson's hot so I'm yes. not going to complain too much of course she like this is the thing like I'm not complaining but <laughs> I'm also complaining <laughs> You're, you're, you're not complaining that you get to see it, however you're disappointed that the movie feels the need to do it in a scene which it, it's is not, entirely pointless. It's not the time and the place for it. <laughs> it serves no purpose. But then she puts a defibrillator to Benji's back and runs away. Yes, she betrays them, and I really like Ethan being super fucked up from being <laughs> oxygen deprived and like falling off the car and be like, Benji, why are you here? <laughs> and, and Benji's been like, are you okay? And Why like, are you driving the car? And just like, he he isn't driving the car as well as he probably should be doing. Um, <laughs> and you got Rebecca Ferguson now in biking leathers and it's like, okay, also hot. Her fucking that's, that's the She runs away, bike. runs into the syndicate who give her bike leathers and a bike. Mm-hmm. She knocks them all off their bike and she then does. the big car chase of the movie starts. Yes. And... Right, so, so Bourne is king of car chases, I think. We're agreed yes. on that. Yes. Like Bourne does the best car chases apart from that one in Bourne Legacy. But doesn't count. Where doesn't would count. this stand? Is this? Um, I think this is like a solid top five car chase we've had in these movies the, so far. The camera work is incredibly good. Like the cameras yes. that are attached to the side of the car or the front of the cars and stuff like that are really good. It's one of the better ones for sure. The start of Quantum of Solace, I actually think that car chase is really good. Yeah, I think this uh, is better than that. This is better than that. Yeah. And then, like, Bond hasn't really had, like, a, an excellent car chase, really. No. Is this all leading to us doing a listicle of all of the things in these three franchises at the no, end? No, no, this is, this is just me kind of, like, stretching the comparative stuff, because I think, because this movie is so fundamentally kind of a very basic spy story that is pulling from an awful lot of stuff that this, this franchise has done, because this car chase is incredibly similar in terms of location and how it's set up to the car chase that is in the first chunk of Mission Impossible 2. Yes. In and terms of also like, the motorbike chase at the end of Mission Impossible 2. Yes, yeah, it, it very similar Unfortunately, Ilsa and Ethan don't fling their motorbikes at each other and fall <laughs> 50 feet and survive. But, you know, no movie is perfect. No movie is perfect. <laughs> uh, Brant and Luther are bickering in their vehicle and they, like, pass them by and it's like, oh, hey... Luther is all like, I could catch him, you're driving badly and stuff like that. It's just like, what the fuck is happening with these two? It's it's an odd couple relationship. They promised Renner the keys to the kingdom, and he's (laughs) he's in a fucking bickering marriage story. Is Renner better in this or in Age of Ultron, which is like literally about two, three months old at this point? Age of Ultron. He's better in Age of Ultron. I don't think he's overwhelmingly good as Brant, to be honest. (laughs) I think Brant is a fine character, but his uselessness makes itself more apparent every scene almost. I I think this is a better use of him than Hawkeye. I guess. If that, if that makes sense, I think like it, He does this... pre- pretend to murder that guy with his bow. Be like oh, look what happened. Oh, I don't know how it happened. Blah, 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 blah. And then does weird jogging. Which he doesn't do here, but hey. Whatever, he tried to kill his ex-wife. So, um... <laughs> Why am I laughing? 
The fu- I don't know, you're a monster. The fucking car flips. My god. Stop doing these stunts. Where he's like, are you wearing your seatbelt? And he's like, are you asking me that now? <laughs> and then he just slams the brakes on and they do four backward rotations in a car. And then are just okay, kind of. Obviously they have to crawl out from it, but... Jesus, stop it. I, I like the bit afterwards where the guy on the motorcycle comes to like finish the job because he's like watched them do this insane stunt and then Luther and Brad just bump just, into him. Just fuck him up. For a second I was like, is that Ilsa? I was like, no, that's not Ilsa. No, then <laughs> because they go, that then person they... is dead now. <laughs> yeah, because then they steal all... And then he gets on Hunt, the bike. Hunt steals the bike. And then they do the Casino Royale thing where, yeah. yes, high-speed chase... Extreme close-up of woman's face, swerve to avoid, fuck yourself up, and uh, then Elsa gets away. It's like, come on, this is shameless at this point that you are stealing from these things. So, so I like it. I know you do. Solomon continues to outwit Ethan, he captures Benji, and demands he bring in the data, which can only be unlocked by the Prime Minister, as you said. Um, so we see Elsa meeting with her MI6 boss, Atley, uh, who is basically like, fuck Ethan, kill that dude. Which, you know... M was pretty ruthless, but I don't know if she would go this far. Or maybe she would. No, she was very like, eh, I did my job, disavowed him, I'd do it again. And I like that he's like secretly deleting the files while they're having their meeting. That's kind of a fun beat when you learn that Atlee is trying to cover for himself in a bit. So Brant at this point is like, no, you're being stupid. You just want revenge against Solomon. And Ethan's like, no, it's because this guy's so dangerous. And it's like, it kind of sounds like you just want revenge against this dude that's outwitting you, man. And they, they are playing at this thread of like, Brant doesn't trust Ethan anymore. And he's going to rat on him to Alec Baldwin. And he does, but it seems like it was, like, with Ethan's knowledge, so... <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if they're doing this for show, or if this is a well, genuine yeah, argument. Like, is, is this scene done for show, or is it them having an argument about, but like, who, Ethan Ethan has a stupid plan, yeah. and, and Brant's just like, this is a stupid plan, but I'll go along with it because... But, like, who would it be for show for? Like, I, I think it is Benji? just, like, they're showing, <laughs> they're showing the parts of the argument that make it seem like Brant isn't on board, but in, ultimately he decides to go along with it, but he's just like, at any point that this goes wrong, I will just straight up spoil the plan for you. Yeah. Lane admitting that he is constantly lying to Elsa so that she will lie to Ethan and he basically knows that she's sort of helping him. I don't know, some of this makes it look like he's kind of stupid, but maybe he's not, or I don't know. She's definitely not though, because I like the scene where she spots the four of them surrounding her at that station uh, in London? maybe, <laughs> where they're on all four sides of her. That's good stuff. Yes. And I really like when she's like, she says the line about how Ethan's a gambler, so maybe he'll hand over the red box regardless. And Benji's like, yeah, that could happen. And it's like, yeah, that is definitely 1,000% a thing that Ethan would do. We literally saw it last movie, where he was like, no, we have to give them the real codes. Yeah, and the CIA are just like, <laughs> you literally gave codes to terrorists. <laughs> he did. I like that as I like, she understands who he is immediately, because they're the same. For as much as I think Solomon is a very cartoon villain, I do like that he keeps getting Ethan to do his work for him. Like, he stole the red box for him, because that was the thing. We assumed this was like a syndicate facility where they were keeping their own files, but instead it is revealed that, like, this is an MI6 facility or something, and the syndicate want those files. Because it is very like, why would you keep a paper trail on your own organisation? Because it's like, that's what they think it is. It's like, it's all the members of, it's like a reverse knock list almost of like syndicate members and everything. But instead, it, it's like Metal Gear, you unlock the bomb for them. Seriously, Chris from McQuarrie, go write Metal Gear instead. You'll love it. Brant rats on Hunley, ostensibly, and then we get this scene with a fake Prime Minister who did not play the Prime Minister in In the Loop, but yeah. And they reveal the Syndicate was a rejected MI6 project that was basically like Treadstone, almost like operate without any red tape. British Prime Minister becomes Judge Jury Executioner, and they've got like two billion pounds of, of funding secretly set up, but the PM rejected it, and uh, Attlee went ahead with it anyway, and then Solomon went 
rogue. They're a rogue nation, everyone. And that's, you know, that's kind of a fun reveal, I think. Then it's kind of ruined by Hunley doing a little monologue about how Ethan is destiny incarnate and he is pointed at you and it's like, oh god, stop it. Bourne is the, is the like, mythic one. You, you can't do this with Ethan Hunt. Yes, you can. <laughs> no, you can't. He's just yes, a crazy person. I, I do like that, like, Mission Possible is obviously very well known for its masks. Yes. And, but <laughs> we they, haven't had very... one in a while, though. Like a real That's the thing, one. is they're very restrained with them and Ghost Protocol is even more restrained in that the only person that used a mask in that movie is the villain when he's escaping, whereas this movie has two, one of which is in a fantasy sequence, and then, like, the most sustained mask you've since Ethan dressed up as Philip Seymour Hoffman. And this time... It is a different actor, and then after the, they take it off, it's Cruz, right? Versus earlier when it was very clearly Tom Cruise and prosthetics, right? Yes. Yes. Can't decide if that makes it better or worse, but hey. And then the groggy Prime Minister and you know, the real Atlee showing up and all of that stuff, and, and... Is it a truth serum, this stuff that I think it's just, it's just like is it a just... thing that makes them groggy, yeah. but like, and obviously, like, if you're groggy, you're probably a bit more truthful than... Yeah. Fun, lower comedy beat. So Ethan goes all in against Lane by memorising all of the bank numbers in the red box. Yeah, he's he is superhuman. Yes, and then he destroys it, and he's like, hey, here's $50 million as proof I've done this. If you want any of this money... I have to be alive, and I won't do it for you unless you let Benji go. Um, and then he lures Lane into a literal trap. So you love the sequence in the restaurant outside of. Um... Oh, you mean the thing from Sherlock where Moriarty strapped bombs to people and had them read his script using an earpiece? Yeah, I loved that when I saw that two years earlier. If they did one copying scene, I would go easy on them. But that there's like four different things they are directly copying is kind of shitty. And it's in England. And they were going to have Benedict Cumberbatch be the villain. Like, come on. Yeah, but Sherlock's bad. You're not baiting me into this. Which episode of Sherlock is that that happens in? I generally forgot that happened in Sherlock. Season 1, episode 3. It's before you've physically seen... Well, you see Moriarty, but he's pretending to be Molly's gay boyfriend. Yes, okay. So when when Sherlock was good. I mean, 4 is not as good as the first 3, but it's still good. Anyway... You won't bait me into two arguments about TV shows in a week. <laughs> Ethan does, in fact, gamble, exactly as Ilsa said he would, and gives Lane $50 million. I guess they can get that back at a later date, but he did directly fund a terrorist, so the CIA's argument is all the stronger. And yeah, he forces him into this little standoff. I think Simon Pegg is really good in this scene. I think Sean Harris is not very good in this scene. He does this little eye twitch, like, a second before he turns the countdown off that I think is a bit hammy but Simon Pegg very good as he has to look him in the eye and say all that I, stuff the thing that I love is that Simon Pegg is so monotone when he's doing the lines that Lane is making him say but then the moment like he gets some freedom to like actually yeah. say his mind yeah. he's immediately got so much more personality I just like it's a small thing but it's just a nice turns out Simon Pegg is actually a good actor as well as uh, being very funny I mean we've known this for a long time but I feel he gets so many of these roles where they've cast him because he's funny and then he, about once per movie he will be like, oh, I can't act, by the way. And yeah. um, this is kind of your scene here. Ethan makes himself a human shield to protect Ilsa because Lane is like, kill her, spare hunt, or whatever, because he needs the money. And then they go through a little chase through the, like, is it the Tower of London? They, or London kind of around Dungeon? The ta- around yeah. the Tower of London. Like, I, I was trying to figure out, like, where exactly they were, but I've not spent a lot of time over that way. Again, next movie, I will be able to... <laughs> I, like, I, We could literally record the podcast walking around where they did it, because I know it so well. <laughs> I like the in-the-window-out-the-window the window bit they do briefly, but most of this chase I think is pretty uninspired and it just this is this is one of my favourite things about this movie and obviously like it's not as well plotted but just the movie starts to contract on itself and each progressive action sequence like you start with the big one in the trailers and then it's this kind of like over-involved set piece in in the opera and then it's the underwater set piece and it's the car chase and then ultimately it comes down to two parallel fight scenes kind of happening odds to each other against one-on-one fights and Mm. I just really like where there's no spectacle it's just the movie is kind of like just drilling down to this and Fallout has a big spectacle kind of bit just before the denouement um, I just enjoyed this movie just contracts and contracts and contracts until it is just ultimately Hunt and Lane and Ilsa and the Bone Doctor <laughs> You can call that a fight scene, they never touch each other. And then they slide little glass panels around him and make a little box and gas him. And a pretty villainous shot, 
where the four of them are surrounding him and smirking as he gets gassed and is like... And he unloads an entire clip into the into the glass as well. He does. Luther and Brandt were, like, getting this ready. Like, you could see them doing stuff with handles and drills and stuff, and it's like, oh, they were making these panels, I guess. And, yeah, he lured him into it. And uh, I accidentally learned that Sean Harris will return. So uh, <laughs> we'll see where that goes, because in a pretty weird shot, like, you know, obviously Ethan and Ilsa get their little goodbye, but then the final scene does not feature Ethan. It is six months later, and Hunley is testifying that the IMF are in fact necessary. And they do this, you know, they claim that the whole shutdown was a ruse to draw out the syndicate, and I don't know if Brandt has the authority to do this, or if this just happened off screen and he's just being flippant but i guess hunley is now the new imf secretary no i think i think that he they convinced the the senate hearing to a, a give oh so like uh, in between the last line we see inside of the hearing and them coming out they make him the secretary yeah, yeah. i think i think that's the kind of implication is that he comes in there to say like this was a joint task force between the cia and imf to bring up the syndicate yeah. and then they kind of pitch the senate hearing on i should become the new head of the imf because then this fucker will say things yeah Uh, and then we get to meet the new head of the cia in the next movie i assume the imf job pays better i mean mean, who knows who knows it's kind of weird to leave it where you don't know what happened to lane because like they're eluding the police and you don't get any exposition about what happened it's just like here it is six months later and he's head of the cia uh, the imf now so end of movie i good movie this is the definition of a two and a half, three star movie, Ben. Oh my god! It's so middle of the lane. Like, oh my god! You're middle a of the monster. road. No, it, it, it's not bad, but there's nothing remarkable about it whatsoever. And, nothing. And, Everything and, it's doing is stealing from something else, and there's a couple of pretty wild stunts. But I've seen pretty wild stunts in every one of these movies. Oh, you're a monster. It's perfectly fine. Three but stars. But your argument that Ghost Protocol is a five and then drops to a three, whereas this is a four throughout. No, yeah. no. This is a five out of ten, six out of ten, like two and a half, three out of five movie. Like, it's it's nothing. It did not need to exist. And I guess, like, in real world time, where well, there hasn't been one in a few years, you'd be like, oh, cool, another one. But watching it less than a week after... The last one, I'm like, this didn't need to exist. This is kind of nothing. Right, I, fine. I know you think I'm a monster, but search your feelings. You know it to be true. Uh, we, Mission Impossible Fallout's going to have to do a lot of work. Yeah, it is. I mean, Mission Impossible Fallout's great. I hear this, but I'm looking at what Macquarie made, and I'm doubtful now. My hope is, so So Mike Thomas gave this movie a three, much like you did on Letterboxd, but he's given the next one a four and a half, so I'm hopeful. I mean, I'm hoping Big Geralt is here to fix everything. And the and absence Geralt, of Renner, you, you get half a star for removing Jeremy Renner from a movie. Jason Bourne must be at least half a star better than the Bourne legacy. Villain Watch, let's do our responsibilities. Solomon Lane, Sean Harris, as I said, I think he's a bit more haha. I don't think he's phenomenally memorable in the way that those names we mentioned earlier are, but more so than Nightfist and Dominic Green. Nightfist and Almerick, let's, let's go with that, the actor names. I like that he does keep outfoxing them. It's kind of what I hoped we would get with Nightfist in Ghost Protocol, and it kind of stopped after the first time he did it. He's got a very distinct voice, does Sean Harris? He does. I, I, so I, I think he's top of the middle pile based purely on this movie alone. I suppose. <laughs> but I also think that I might raise him up to top. I feel group. this... Throughout this podcast series has been a handful of really good villains and then everyone else is incredibly forgettable and meh. So all yes. you've got to do is be in any way memorable and yeah, you rise to the top of the middle. <laughs> Carl Urban is in serious contention for one of the best... No, not the top, but you know, that his role where he doesn't speak is one of yeah, the better we, we, ones. We it's have, quite an indictment the... on the quality of villains. Yeah, we have the golden three and I don't think we're going to change our minds. I don't mm. think that you've got any particular like strong feelings on on Christoph Waltz. It's being Christoph Waltz. And you've seen the King Christoph Waltz performance now as well. I so. have, I have. You know, we invented this feature for the Marvel podcast because everyone says that all the Marvel villains fucking suck. I would argue they have a better at-bat ratio 
than these three franchises. To be fair, one of these franchises isn't going for making villains, is I think an important caveat. Bond by itself has a better shot at it, where I think they've gotten it right all but one time. But yeah, there are some shitty fucking villains across all of these movies. I do like that Sean Harris, he only signed on to the movie because of a scene that they ended up cutting, and he also said he would only do it if his character died so that he didn't have to do a sequel, and then he's coming back for a sequel. (laughs) And they didn't tell him until pretty late on, so... That's fun. Yannick the Bone Doctor Vinter. Is I mean, what? What is that? <laughs> it's nothing, is what it is. And then I don't know if you want to call Alan Hunley a villain. No. It's the Joan Allen role. It's the Lawrence Fishburne role. Like the person, the person who plays a bit too much by the rules. Yeah, it's the policeman and Ghost Protocol role. Like, yeah, we're heroes, but we're at odds but we'll end up on the same side. How did Tom survive has gotten interesting again, because (laughs) he sustained six injuries while making this movie. (laughs) He dangled off a fucking plane eight eight times at up to 5,000 feet. (laughs) He had to have special lenses made to cover his old eyes so he could keep them open. I feel they did that with... Daniel Craig in Quantum or maybe it was the first Mission Impossible. I feel I've said that on this show before that they had special lenses made so he could keep his eyes open. I don't know who it was about but someone's done it. That's kind of fucking insane. He dangled off the side of this plane. Like I think he said he did it because he wanted to top the Burj Khalifa scene. I don't think this tops it because I don't think this is no, like, it it's potentially more insane that he dangles off a plane that is taking off Yes, but it's not as good a spectacle as... Right. And that camera what? work of like the camera moving out with him and stuff like that is incredible. I mean, that's it. I still think that Ghost Protocol is the best directed movie that we've had so far, apart from maybe Skyfall. Mm, maybe, yeah. Yeah, like it's like it's Ghost Protocol in Skyfall. In terms best. of like a director having a very clear style and vision, and 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 you can tell that this person made this. Yeah. Whereas I think Chris McQuarrie, like this is what his second movie, his third movie. It, it like it, it's relatively early on in his directing career. He did Way of the Gun in 2000, Jack Reacher. So this is his third movie. Yeah. I feel like he actually manages to figure out a style by the time you get to Fallout. Did he allegedly do some directing on Valkyrie or do I have that wrong? He probably did do some direction on Valkyrie. Yeah. Judging by the fact that renowned pedophile Brian Singer and sex abuser would routinely just not show up to set. Yes. His favourite trick. His second favourite trick. So, jeez. The underwater sequence, as I said, allegedly one take, allegedly six minutes of breath holding. They ruin it with CGI. Like, if you'd have actually shown me a sustained six minute scene of Tom Cruise swimming without a camera cut, I would have been like, holy fucking shit. As it is, it just looks like the fakest thing he's done so far. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's the downside, and uh, we will get to discuss the behind-the-scenes shot in Fallout of one of my favourite action I'm sequences. very curious about this. You've been talking about this since we started, and it's like why we have this feature, I think. It's so... Did he li- Did he actually nearly die in Fallout? I mean, he broke his ankle, that's what uh, I'm okay. And finally, all the driving stunts were Tom and Simon. Simon was at the mercy of Tom Cruise as well. Female agency, this one's going to be interesting because Rebecca Ferguson is giving a very good performance. This character is undoubtedly a total badass and I'm glad she's coming back. However, gratuitous butt action, gratuitous side boob action and there are three women in this movie who speak and one of them is a CIA polygraph detector person, and one of them is a lady who dies in a record store. And it's like, you do see this sometimes, and I, I do think Bourne does it as well, so I'm not gonna be completely heavy on them, but like, in order to have one good female performance, they basically are like, but there can't be any others. We have room to craft one well-made woman, but that means we don't have time for there to be more women in the movie. I don't know if if they'd had Paula Patton and Maggie Q come back, would they have also had Rebecca Ferguson? Probably not. Maybe not. But in a world where you have a way to get at least one of those two on Ethan's team, in addition to Rebecca Ferguson, and like, no offense to Maggie Q, but I would have, I would rather Paula Patton return. Yes, yes, yes. She yes. had a character arc at least i might praise them more but like this being like such a male dominated movie but then with this big female performance still still work to do it's similar to casino royale it's similar to skyfall in that like really there are other female there are other female characters in the movie but they're off or something negative happens to them and like like obviously but a complete absence of them is also pretty bad (laughs) sure but like how many female characters were there in skyfall off the top of my head um Money Penny, her name. 
lady from the Chimera. Bo- Why do I remember the name of the fucking boat? <laughs> <laughs> uh, lady on the boat. It's lady Severine. in Severin. Lady who bangs in Turkey. Maybe. Oh, Hel- Helen McCrory is the MP as well. Yes, yes, the inquest that had a that had a woman there. I think that's it. Maybe, but that's already more. <laughs> that is true, and I will say again. <laughs> God, I'm putting so much fucking hope on you liking Fallout. Um, <laughs> Fallout has multiple female characters with, who wow. get to do things. Who get to do things? Look, Rebecca Ferguson's great. Yeah. I'm being hypercritical because I think you would agree that cinema in general needs to do better. Or oh, this, no, absolutely. This, this genre. In but I think I'm coming at a point where it's just like, the fact that one of the biggest action franchises in the world has, for its sixth movie managed to find a female co-star who is going to be sustained across multiple movies at this point in that she is back for Mission Impossible 7 as well like this isn't oh, wow. this is like they've they've actually figured out like a character who's interesting but not eight I presume everyone who signed up for 7 is signed on for 8 as well unless okay. it's a huge fucking spoiler that some of them aren't coming back for 8 yeah, I guess that's true. Are they going to film them at the same time? Is it yeah, they're filming them back to back. Obviously, uh, the filming has been delayed because of Corona as well. So of course. But like, yeah, like we have Rebecca Ferguson, Vanessa Kirby's coming back, Haley Atwell, Pom Kemmel Teeth for Mission Seven and Eight. There's more female characters in Michelle Monaghan. <laughs> She's in the next one. I know. I wish I didn't know, but I do know. Okay, well, look, I I am incredibly interested in Fallout because it's not just you, it's not just Mike. I have heard across the board that Fallout was, like, the most shockingly good film of that year. Like, in terms of an action movie, in terms of, like, when you're coming to it, it's just, like, this is a movie that is done almost entirely practical. It steers steers away from, like, what Fast and Furious and what... And maybe it's just kind of, like, people just so starved for the kind of movie that Fallout is... But yeah. Fallout is just, everyone seems like they're on the same playing field in terms of, like, doing what they want to do. And it just, it looks great, it feels great, it's got a sense of style. Well, you said for an action movie, but, like, for an action movie to be talked about at all in the, like, films of the year standing, I think oh, it's yeah, yeah. kind of rare. Like, I mean, obviously there are people that are, like, Fast and Furious is the best movie of the year whenever those come out. But general audiences, you know, film critics being like, oh, Fallout was one of the best movies of the year. It's like, oh, wow, okay. Yeah, I'm interested. But I'm not enamoured with Chris McQuarrie so far. Speaking of not being enamoured, Spectre is up next. And I've spent every day since that movie came out being like, that movie is garbage and an affront to Skyfall. And as we've done this podcast, I've started to think, maybe it's okay. And I'm really scared when you next hear my voice, I'm going to be like, I think I like Spectre. So I think you're going to quite like Spectre, but we'll see what happens. Well, just, just because of my, like, proclivities towards... Yes. Oh, we use the same word. <laughs> yeah, so that's next week. In the meantime, go to entertherealworld.com. Ben has some things he can plug, because he's looking uh, at an insane schedule that predicts what's coming out. Instead yeah, of so, me, who just is like, uh, I don't know, episodes. So what? So Flip and the Pig's been out twice this week, as, as every week they're wrapping up an episode 60 with old content. Is that correct? Yes. 60 yes. they recorded, yes. And then and then they will be getting new episodes at the end of at the, at the start of June, which is a long time from now. Superhero Pantheon have just done their Punish Triple Bill, I believe, and will be following up with a Ghost Rider Double Bill this week, so... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That barrel will take a good scraping, won't it? <laughs> <laughs> and then Matt, Matt and I, I don't know, like we're, we're wrapping this up and then we're going to move on to something new afterwards. I think we've already said what it is, but we'll be we? clandestine about it. Yes, new things coming from us and then hopefully a tiny break. Well, probably a break behind the scenes, but in terms of content on the site, you will never not hear our voices once a week. So, Spectre, next week, we might even go watch it now. We might even record the episode today. Who knows? But for now, thank you, Ben. This podcast, as always, as we've always said, will self-destruct in five seconds. But this time, we're going to get gassed. the first couple episodes. No, I'm not going <laughs> to do that. And uh, this time, we're going to get gassed because the syndicate took over this one. So, uh, bye forever, everyone. Secret agent